Well, good morning, Orchard. And if this is your first time here, we're especially glad that you came. We hope that you sense the love and the acceptance and the opportunity throughout the week, as Pastor Doug mentioned earlier. And if you're watching online, we would like to uh, just extend our warmest greetings to you for tuning in on this Sunday morning. And we also like to say a special good morning to our friends watching online from the South Pacific nation, the island nation of Vanuatu. All same one them. Oh, me happy to must look along you. Me no look at me long time. Ale, me look at you back again. Bye bye. So just a little few words, greetings to our friends there in Vanuatu. And also we would like to say good morning to our friends watching live right now online from Afghanistan. We're glad that you turned in, tuned in, and we're glad that you're with us this morning. Our, our prayers are with you in Afghanistan during this extremely dangerous and difficult time. Just a few days ago, I received another message from the father of the family that we have been praying for here at the orchard these last several months. As best they can, they are watching the Sunday morning services of the orchard in Carbondale, Colorado, in Afghanistan from a secret location. And although they're in constant danger, and although they're very cold now, they had to sell their their heater, uh, and they're running low on food, that doesn't matter. They are praying for you. They are praying for the orchard. The last uh, few months, I've been working very, very hard on trying to get them to safety, and we've come a long, long way. I can't go into all the detail for security reasons right now. Progress has been made. We're very, very close, but we're not there yet. So please keep praying for our Christian friends in Afghanistan, for the father, for his wife, for the children. And my prayer is that one day, soon, they will be able to come. And, sorry. And stand here on this stage and say thank you. Thank you for your prayers. Well, this morning, this morning, we're going to examine just some of the many incredible things the Bible says about heaven. Uh, then beginning on January 25th, that's not this Tuesday, but a week from Tuesday, from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m., just one hour, we're going to be going through the entire book of Revelation, verse by verse and chapter by chapter. So if you're interested in digging deeper into the subject of heaven that we'll be talking about today, or about Revelation, the prophecy, and all the wonderful things that are in that book, covering so much more, you're warmly invited by the fireplace. Join us here at the Orchard every Tuesday, starting a week from Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. Well, this morning I'd like to start with a question, and that is, have you ever found something that you thought was true was, was actually not true? Uh, that happened not too long ago to a, to a state trooper uh, when Billy Graham was returning uh, several years ago from a speaking engagement. His plane landed back in, in North Carolina, and after his plane arrived in Charlotte, North Carolina, a limousine was waiting, as it customarily did. He was traveling all over the world preaching, 
and that limo driver was going to drive him the rest of the way home. But just before Billy Graham got into the back seat of the limo, as he normally did, he paused. He said to the driver, you know, I'm 87 years old, and I've never driven a limo. Would you, would you mind if I just drove it for a little while? And the limo driver said, sure, no problem, have at it. So Billy gets into the driver's seat, and they headed off down the highway together. Now, a short distance away was this state trooper, a young rookie trooper operating his very first speed trap. The limo went by 70 miles an hour in a 55-mile-an-hour zone. The young trooper said, this is it. I've got him caught up to him very quickly. And uh, then when he gets out of his patrol car, he walks up to the limo, limo, and he was stunned to see who was in the driver's seat. He didn't know quite what to do, so he immediately goes back to his patrol car, and he calls his supervisor, and he said, I know that we're supposed to enforce the law, but I also know that important people are, well, they're extended certain courtesies. And so I need to know what to do because I've stopped a very important person. Well, the supervisor asked, was it the governor? And the state trooper said, oh, no, he's, he's much more important than that. And the supervisor said, well, is it the president of the United States? And the trooper said, oh, no, he's even way more important than that. And so the supervisor finally asked, well, then, young trooper, who is it? And the trooper replies, I, I think it's Jesus, because he's got Billy Graham as a chauffeur. <laughs> True story. <laughs> so things aren't always as we think they might be. Recent polls suggest that about 80% of all Americans believe in a heaven. Not only do they believe in a heaven, but most expect to go there when they die. But what they think heaven is like isn't always true. For starters, heaven is not populated with tiny, chubby angels floating around on clouds and playing harps. We don't find that any place in the Bible. Heaven is not some altered state of consciousness or enlightenment. Heaven is a real place. This morning we're going to be taking a look at one chapter in the book of Revelation of the place called heaven. Heaven is populated by real people. Listen to the words of Jesus when he said in John chapter 14, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you. Would I have told you that I was going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Twice, just in this passage of Scripture, in these three verses, Jesus calls heaven a place. Heaven is as real as the place you and I call home, only a whole lot better. 
And that's why the Bible sometimes compares heaven to a mansion with many rooms. We read about that in John chapter 14. But, but today, the question is, where is heaven? What's heaven really like? Will we know one another in heaven? What will we do in heaven? How can I be sure I'm going to heaven? These are great questions. These are great questions, and they're all answered in the Bible. 700 years before Jesus was crucified, the prophet Isaiah wrote that Jesus would die in the midst of sinners. Isaiah chapter 53. And he did. Exactly as Isaiah prophesied. Between two criminals on either side of him. Hanging on crosses above the cursing and the shouting of the crowd below. They were close enough, the Bible says, to talk to Jesus. One of them looked to Jesus and he said, get me down. The other looked to Jesus and said, Lord, take me up. And the Bible says that Jesus looked that criminal in the eye and he said, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Can you imagine? Can you just imagine that man's heart? How it must have felt even though his body was in excruciating pain. That very day, he would be in paradise with Jesus. So the question is this morning, What's your prayer? Is it take me down? Get me out of this mess? Or is it, Lord, take me up? Take me up to a higher understanding of you. Three times in the New Testament, we're told of a place called paradise. So, what's paradise? Well, you remember the Apostle Paul telling the Corinthians how he was taken up to the third heaven. And, and do you remember that Paul defined the third heaven as paradise in 2 Corinthians 12? The book of Revelation also describes paradise in Revelation chapter 2. We read about the tree of life and paradise that was lost in the Garden of Eden. We read about how it's been regained through the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. But, but if paradise is the third heaven, as we just read, does that mean that there are two other heavens? Well, let's see what the Bible says. In Hebrews chapter 4, we read, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. So we see the Bible uses the Greek word here, oranos, to describe the atmospheric heaven. It's the same Greek word. We find that in Genesis chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, James chapter 5. This atmospheric heaven 
Uranus in the Greek word, this is where the birds fly, the clouds float by, and the Bible uses that word. The Bible uses the exact same word to describe the celestial heaven. Deuteronomy chapter 4, Matthew chapter 24, this is where the sun and the moon and the stars are. The same word for heaven. But, but, but there's an even more higher heaven that we read about. The Bible says, indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 14. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, this boasting will do no good, but I must go on. I will reluctantly tell about visions and revelations from the Lord. I was caught up to the third heaven. 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body, but I do know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words, things no human is allowed to tell. You Bible scholars remember in the book of Acts, 14 years prior to this, Paul had been left for dead after being stoned in the city of Lystra. Paul did not enter a state of nothingness, but the Bible says he was immediately taken to paradise. It was literally impossible for Paul to describe what he saw, what he heard in heaven. But, but whatever it was, it was the very same reason that Paul wanted to come back and start preaching again because of the glories of what he witnessed. And Paul wasn't alone. You Bible students, you remember Elijah. The Bible says that, that Elijah was taken up directly to heaven and he never tasted death in 2 Kings chapter 2. You Bible students remember Enoch. The Bible says that Enoch was taken directly up to heaven, and he never tasted death in Genesis chapter 5. Do you remember Stephen? Do you remember Stephen? The Bible says a frenzied crowd had gathered with big stones in their hand and anger and scowl on their faces. They looked down on Stephen, who was down in a pit, preparing to throw these huge stones on him to crush him to death. But the Bible says Stephen looked up to heaven. The Bible says in Acts chapter 5, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God and he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told him, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. Yes, the same one who would become the Apostle Paul. As they stoned him, 
Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Wow. Wow. What a contrast. What a contrast between the anger and the hatred and the bitterness of the crowd and and the peace and the joy and the tranquility of Stephen. How could Stephen be so peaceful? Dying without fighting back, without lashing out. Bible says Stephen looked to heaven. Stephen looked to heaven and he saw Jesus. And the Bible says when we see Jesus, we'll see him as a lamb having been slain. Revelation 5. When we look to Jesus, We have no other choice but to be amazed at his grace and to be at peace with others. So, instead of looking down on people, look up to heaven and see the Lord. And you'll be at peace not only with yourself, but you'll be at peace even when the enemy is throwing stones. So what's heaven like? Well, the Bible speaks of heaven 557 times. Heaven is a fundamental theme of the Bible. Nothing can compare to it. It's beyond our wildest imagination. We'll experience new dimensions, new sights, new sounds, new colors, things that the most brilliant scientists of all ages haven't even begun to imagine or postulate. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, in heaven, there's no past, no future. So if you're a Christian, the moment you die, an amazing thing happens. Your last breath on earth will be your first breath in heaven. You're immediately taken into eternity where there's no time. This means, now hang with me here, this means that we'll be living in the eternal now. No past, no future. Albert Einstein's theory of relativity proves this out. When you travel at the speed of light, as many of you know, time stops. Quantum physics bears this out. And here's the key. The Bible says that God is light. And because God is light, time ceases. So, so from the perspective of those already in heaven, you're already there with them. Not from our perspective on earth, but from the perspective of those in heaven, we're already there with them. Let's look at Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. The Bible says in verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, 
coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. Wow. Are you familiar with the traditional Jewish wedding ceremony? It's incredible. It's a beautiful illustration of this passage that we just read. As you recall, in the traditional Jewish wedding ceremony, even today, the first step is a betrothal. A betrothal was a covenant that bound a man and woman together. Now, often this took place when the children were very young and very small, and it was arranged by the, by the parents. That was the first step. The second step, and you can read about that in Malachi chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 1, the second step was the groom coming to take his bride from her house to his father's house. You could read about that in Matthew chapter 25. The groom didn't know when this would take place. The bride didn't know when this would take place. The groom was busy working hard, building a special addition onto his father's house, getting it all ready. But he didn't know the exact time that his father would say, you may now go get your bride. So he was busy working, busy preparing. Likewise, the bride was preparing in her way. And then the father says to the groom, son, you may now go get your bride. Oh, the joy, the joy. We are the bride. The church is the bride of Christ. Not just here at the orchard, but as we saw this morning, this morning in Vanuatu, two orchard churches now in Vanuatu, Love God, love people. Maybe you saw the photos. The church in Afghanistan, meeting underground. The church around the world. We are the bride of Christ. He is the bridegroom. And he has been busy preparing a magnificent place for us for about 2,000 years. And when the father says, now, son, you may go, I picture Jesus standing at the door of heaven, opening up that door. Now, this is my picture. This is not the Bible. <laughs> opening up that door of heaven and going, yay, now's the time. And we're caught up to meet him in the air. Every prophecy that has to be fulfilled before that event taking place has been fulfilled. I'm a student of prophecy. I directed Bible colleges. I've looked at this. Every prophecy that has yet to be fulfilled or that needs to be fulfilled before Jesus calls us to, calls us to meet him in the clouds has been fulfilled. He could come back today. Third, the marriage supper of the Lamb will take place. In the, in the in the, in the Jewish tradition, it was, a, it was a wonderful time. Guests were already assembled, and it was a time of feasting, and it was a wonderful, wonderful occasion. So how does this apply to us? Well, I'm glad you asked. 
first, <laughs> the betrothal of Christ and his bride, the church. That is taking place around the world right now. Here in the Roaring Fork Valley, across America, in Vanuatu, Afghanistan, around the world, people are trusting him. They're putting their faith in him. They're opening up their heart to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Second, Jesus will return to take his bride, all believers, from this world to his Father's house in heaven. John chapter 14, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is referred to in Scripture as the marriage of the Lamb. Third, the marriage supper of the Lamb will take place. Now, hang with me here. The marriage supper of the Lamb is going to take place in heaven with wedding guests who already have been assembled. Revelation chapter 19. It's important to note that these wedding guests are not the bride. We are the bride. We're the bride of Christ. The wedding guests, they're not the bride. We're not the guests. They're the guests. They're in heaven. It's going to be a wonderful time. So since they're in heaven, they've got to be believers. So who are these people? Who are these guests? Once again, I'm glad you asked. The Bible says they're the Old Testament saints who are already in heaven. And these Old Testament saints will be the guests at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we'll be there with them. And you can walk up to David or Rebecca or Abraham or Sarah, or Abigail, or Elisha, or Elijah, or Adam, or Eve, and say, hi, you'll recognize them. They'll recognize you. That's a part of heaven. We'll be given new minds. We won't have to have name tags. It will be wonderful. So will we know each other in heaven? Absolutely. Matthew 17, 1 Corinthians 13, assure us of this fact. You remember when King David's young son died? He was heartbroken. But David said, I will go to him. 2 Samuel chapter 12. The Apostle Paul, he, he looked forward to being with the church from Thessalonica, the Thessalonians. In heaven, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together, with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Have you ever wondered how heaven could, could be so perfect 
If, if your loved ones who never re received the Lord aren't there? Well, the Bible says in heaven, people will have lots of feelings. The Bible says people will laugh. The Bible says we're, it, 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 we're told in, in Luke chapter 6 of banquets in heaven, of feasts, of, of singing. It's going to be a wonderful and glorious time. But the Bible also says there will be no more sorrow or crying or pain. The Bible says in Revelation 21 verse 4, Then he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. In Isaiah chapter 65, Behold, I am creating new heavens and a new earth, and the former things of life will not be remembered or come to mind. In other words, when we get to heaven, we'll have no memory at all of those who aren't there. Okay, David, but just got another question. What about that Christian? I know he's going to heaven, but I just can't stand him. That person who has hurt me so deeply, will his mansion be right next door to mine? Will I have to deal with him forever? Well, you're going to be blown away. You're going to be blown away because that very same person who bugged you, the Bible says that the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. The Bible says there's going to be a glorious and total transformation of every believer. I love it. No more aches, no more pains, no more infirmities. The Bible says in verse 5 of Revelation 21, and the one sitting on the throne said, Lord, I am making everything new. Or look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. The Bible says, when we see Jesus, we shall be like him. It can't get any better than that. And the Bible says, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, your name is written in the book of life. The Bible says that all of your sins, all of your failures, have been blotted out by the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, if there's a book about the sins I've committed in my life as an old man, one book wouldn't be enough. It would need to be an encyclopedia. In fact, it would need to be a whole library. So many, many things. But the Bible says the pages containing my sins are all covered by the red blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he loves you. He loves me so very, very much. So in verse 1, we see the new creation that God's preparing for us. In verse 2, we see the new capital that God's preparing for us. And the Bible says later on in this chapter that this new Jerusalem will be more beautiful than any city we could possibly imagine. Certainly, it will be better than Washington, D.C. <laughs> Precious gemstones. 
for the foundations, gigantic pearls for the gates. Not a whole bunch of pearls, one big pearl for each gate. Streets paved with gold because gold will be as common as, as asphalt. I read a story about, well, this is not true, just a make-believe story of a man that, that somehow managed to get a suitcase up to the front door of heaven, and there was St. Peter. Now, you already know, you Bible students, that St. Peter is not at the front gate. Those are angels. But anyway, the story goes that he carried the suitcase, and St. Peter wanted to know, well, what's in your suitcase? And he opened it up because he was a very, very wealthy man, and they were the finest, just fill a big suitcase of, of gold bullion bars, solid gold. And Peter looked at him and said, you want to bring asphalt into heaven? Streets paved with gold because gold will be as common as asphalt. Then in verse 3, we see the communion, the new communion that God's preparing for us. Now, when we take communion here at the orchard, we draw close to our Lord. But the Apostle Paul said, now we see through a glass darkly in 2 Corinthians 13. But in the new Jerusalem, we're going to see Jesus face to face. And everyone's vision will be perfect. No more glasses. No more contact lenses. Why? Because we'll all be in His presence. In verse 6 of Revelation 21, we read, <clears throat> and he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. It is finished. Does that sound familiar? Every religion and every cult bases its teaching on what we must do. Only Christianity is based on what Jesus Christ has done. It's not about us. We can't do anything to get right with God. Well, except except open our hearts to Him. Invite Him to be our Lord and our Savior and receive His grace, His mercy, His love. 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Did you notice in verse 6 that he didn't say, I'm still working on it. We'll get there one of these days. Oh, it's, it's, it's going to be a great starter home. It just needs a little extra TLC. No, no. He said, it is finished. The Bible says in verse 9, Revelation 21, Then one of the seven angels who held the seven bowls containing the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come with me. And I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. So he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and sparkled like a precious stone, like jasper 
as clear as crystal. The Bible says the church is his bride. We are his bride. And we, his bride, are going to be living in this glorious city called the New Jerusalem with Jesus forever and ever. Oh, John sees the New Jerusalem descending out of heaven. We'll be residing there, but we won't be limited there. We'll be able to explore the magnificent cre creation of our God. We'll travel faster than a hypersonic missile, faster than the speed of light. We'll travel at the speed of thought. And we'll explore God's amazing, amazing creation. Now, the word jasper that we just read about in verse 11 is not the jasper that you might be thinking of. Y you need to remember, the stones of the Old and the New Testament have different names today. The jasper in this passage is what we call today a diamond. Now, did you know that a diamond is basically a chunk of coal that over time and under tremendous heat and pressure is transformed into a brilliant stone of great beauty and value? Molecular scientists and people far smarter than I have explained this to me. And when they did, I thought, hey, that's just like us. Over time, under heat, under pressure, we're lovingly transformed into something of beauty. How do I know? The Bible tells me so. 1 Peter chapter 4. It is true. He makes all things beautiful in his time. We're transformed from worthless chunks of coal into incredible brilliance and beauty. The Bible says in verse 12 of Revelation 21, the city wall was broad and high with 12 gates guarded by 12 angels. And the names of the 12 tribes of Israel were written on the gates. There were three gates on each side, east, north, south, and west. So here, the Bible says the 12 gates bear the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And there are 12 angels at each of the 12 gates. Oh, the study of angels is mind-boggling. We'll be taking a look at angels, who they are. Uh, in, in our study of Revelation on Tuesday night. But these 12 angels at each of the 12 gates guarded not St. Peter, but the angels. And sometimes I'm asked uh, of people, particularly regarding children, if they become angels when they die. The answer is absolutely not. No. The place changes, but the person remains the same. The same person who becomes absent from the body becomes present with the Lord, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We won't become angels, but we'll be with angels, 
The Bible says in verse 14, The wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, and on them were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now, the Bible says the wall of the city has 12 foundations or 12 layers or 12 stories, if you will. On each of these foundations or each of these stories uh, are the names of the 12 apostles in the New Testament. So we see the Old Testament and the New Testament represented here in the New Jerusalem. Why is this? Fascinating. Because we enter into our knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ through the Old Testament covenant. The roots of Christianity are in Judaism. The Apostle Paul said that we've been grafted into Israel. God sent his son to the Jews. And that's why Satan hates the Jews, and that's why we stand with the Jews. Ephesians 2.20 says we're built upon the foundation of the apostles with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. Isn't this magnificent? The new Jerusalem. But we enter into our understanding of him through the Old Testament covenant. The Bible says in verse 15, Revelation 21, The angel who talked to me held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. When he measured it, he found it was a square as wide as it was long. In fact, its length and width and height were each 1,400 miles. Then he measured the walls and found them to be 216 feet thick, according to the human standard used by the angel. So here we see the city's measurements are all multiples of 12. 12 tribes of Israel, 12 apostles who started the church, 12 foundations, 12 gates. The height, the length, and the breadth are all the same. So, you mathematicians have probably figured it out. This totals 1,960, uh, I'm sorry, 1,960,000 square miles for each of the 12 floors or 12 foundations of the New Jerusalem. That totals 23 million 520,000 square miles for the New Jerusalem. Almost 24 million square miles. To put that in perspective, our moon has 14,600,000 square miles. All of Asia has 17,200,000 square miles. So my point is, there is plenty of room in the New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem is a perfect cube, exactly the same shape as the most holy place in the temple, we, you recall from 2 Kings chapter 6. Let's take a look at it in verse 16 of Revelation 21. The wall was made of jasper, 
The city was pure gold, as clear as glass. The wall of the city was built on foundation stones, inlaid with 12 precious stones. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth chameleon, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the, ten, the tenth chrysophase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl. And the main street was pure gold, as clear as glass. The Bible says the walls are made of jasper or diamond, representing purity and durability. Most biblical scholars believe the 12 stones found in this passage correspond to the 12 stones that were on the breastplate of the high priest that we read about in Exodus chapter 28. In those days, as you recall, when somebody needed guidance, when somebody had a question and they weren't sure which way to go, they would go to the high priest who wore this breastplate with these 12 stones on this breastplate, and the high priest would then use the Urim and the Thummim, which means light and perfection, causing certain stones to then light up on the breastplate of the high priest until a particular word was, was spelled out, giving guidance and, and direction. You can read about it in Numbers chapter 27 and Nehemiah chapter 7. Now, one of the most common questions that people ask me today is, how can, can I know God's will for, for my life? Now, remember, these stones of light and, and perfection worked in harmony with each other. These stones of light and perfection represent the bride of Christ, the people of God. Us. So how can you know God's will for your life? Stay close to Him and stay close to His people. And the light of the Lord will shine through. For those of you watching online, we're so glad you are. We encourage you to continue and invite your friends to watch The Orchard online. But it's even better if you can be here in person. The Bible says, forsake not the assembly of yourselves together. We need each other. We need one another as we come together at the foot of the cross to amplify and to uplift our Lord Jesus Christ. Stay close to God's people. Finally, the Bible says in verse 22, I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city. And the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day, because there is no night there. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil 
will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the book of life. Wow. Wow, what a place. What a place heaven will be. Some people make Christianity complicated, but that's not what the Bible says. Nine simple words is all it took for a death roll criminal to enter paradise. Do you remember the thief on the cross? Lord. Lord. Remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. But, but, but it's even simpler than that. Peter said the same thing in just three words. Matthew 14, Lord, save me. But it's even simpler. It's even simpler than that. John said only one word is needed to enter the kingdom of heaven. In Romans 10, 9. Lord, Lord. Dear friends, remember, no matter how far you may have walked away from him, the return trip is only one step. It's better to end life with nothing but Christ than to end life with everything but Christ. Now, some people say, us Christians, well, we're so heavenly-minded, we're no earthly good. But I say, unless we are heavenly-minded, we won't be any earthly good. So God, help us. Here at the orchard, wherever you're watching, God, help us to be heavenly-minded, inviting as many people as we can to our incredible, indescribable, incomprehensible forever home in heaven. Too many people think that we must first clean up our acts before we ask Jesus into our heart. No, just the opposite is true. First, He comes into our lives. Then, He transforms our lives. So this morning, let's take the bread and the cup as we worship in communion. Because this we do in remembrance of Him.